Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing, or positively something? And how does the theory of just war inform our answer? Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. And this is Dan. And today, we're going to duke it out. Your Dan and I are just going to actually have a fist fight in the background, and you're going to listen to it. And we're going to role play our topic. That's right. And today, we are discussing the concept of a just war. Lots of conversations going on in the world today about some geopolitical forces aligning themselves for potential invasion between Russia and Ukraine. That's kind of the context of why we're talking about it. And then if you stick around to the end, we're going to talk a little bit about what you prefer, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, favorite events. So you'll hear that as well. That sounds fun. Yeah. Another context of the Beijing Beijing Winter Olympics are happening right now. So, So today... This episode, talking about a just war, and like I said, we are, the world is bracing itself for a pretty significant global event. Russian troops are amassing on the border of Ukraine. Every news feed is dominated with what's going to happen. Are they going to invade? Ukrainians are saying that they're ready to defend themselves. So um, a really centuries-old conflict kind of rearing its head in modern day and so we figured what is the christian response to to war i mean how do we look at it outside of the american political perspective um, and get inside the gospel center worldview and say how do we translate it and how do we transform it and uh, look at it through the biblical lens yeah it's um and it's worth noting that there were so many topics yon that we could have selected this particular episode because of the cultural and political hot buttons are, I mean, they're raging now, right? Yeah. So it says something, I think it's worth noting how intense and how important this topic is uh, as we face the potential literal invasion of a sovereign country. Right. And ironically, as we, as we discuss this, we're actually going to find out that this is not a topical time-sensitive conversation. The concept yeah, of yeah. war and armed conflict is not a aberration in human interaction. It is actually the norm throughout yeah. the history of humanity. Right. And so as Christians, here's the question today, right? Should we be cheering on any kind of war, you know, as a patriot? Should we cheer it on? Are we are we excited in any way, shape, or form that we've, quote-unquote, won a war? Or, mm. um, you know, so yeah. those are... Those are things that eventually, I think, as you age, those things start to turn up in your conscience and in, in, in your moral compass. Right. And this, we, yeah. And this showed up kind of, it kind of shows up if you're if you're on social media or something. And remember back like maybe 10 years ago, Osama bin Laden was, was killed, right? And mm-hmm. everyone was like cheering. There's a big celebration. And then some people on, some of my Christian friends on Twitter were like, are we celebrating the, you're celebrating the death of a, of a person. And it's like, yeah. the question is, okay, is celebrating it? Um, inherently evil, or we being sinful, or is there some sort of context in which armed conflict is justified right. and something that's not necessarily celebrated? But the is there an 
a concept of good versus evil and overcoming yeah. evil where you can actually celebrate that something good has happened despite what war does. Right. So. I'm looking forward to your perspective, Yon, considering we're going to hear today from a war hero. Well, not many people have saved democracy. <laughs> and uh, myself included in that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not done that. Right, so. right. But anytime we get a good debate, I will not hesitate to pull that out. So. <laughs> So I think maybe it's a good place to start. We'll we'll take a look at, uh, you know, we'll translate it. We'll look at what is war kind of in general. If you don't know what it is, it's more than Call of Duty, right, on your video game. Um, and then why do wars begin? We'll take a little bit at kind of what historically how people have viewed mm. wars. Um, and then some of the the theories specific to the concept of just war. Yeah. And Yon, Yon, off the top of your head, why do you think that someone who's listening who isn't interested in war why off the top of your head what's the what's the reason to keep listening because war is a constant and there's really no isolating yourself from armed conflict and i mean living in the united states of america it is a little bit of an aberration in history in which yeah. we can go about our daily lives and war is not an active part yeah. of our lives um but it is an active part of the majority of people's lives in the world and so how do we respond to it especially if we are americans and we are um a you know the de facto governing body is the people and we elect people and what is their perspective on war and how do we who has the most powerful military in the world how do we use that military might and and what's the framework in which we look at it yeah and clearly the people that we're electing are prone to either get us into war or keep us out of war right and does uh, and those things dramatically affect um, human beings. And like you said, it's it's unprecedented that it doesn't affect us presently. That's right. But it's but history would tell us that it's not um, that 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 era. This this particular phase of of uh, peacetime that we're in is is unlikely to last. That's right. And. Yeah. You know someone who's probably in the military. You know someone you know is probably families in the mm-hmm. military. You know, so it, it does connect with us mostly on an interpersonal level as well, as, lo- as well as a large-scale kind of political arena um, yeah. as well. So I think it's time for all of us who are um, disciples, right, following Jesus. It's all of us should have some developed conviction one way or other on this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if you even go a little bit further culturally, um just the depictions of armed conflict and war in our entertainment and media mm. have become significantly more realistic and um they're i don't want to say more prevalent but they're you know what you can see and engage with and some of the stuff that you i mean obviously i mentioned you know video games and that kind of stuff i mean those some of the most popular ones are you know yeah. they're obviously war um first person shooter games and so again it's the there is a heightened level you could back in the day you could read books about it but you couldn't watch a mm. perfect cgi representation of right. someone getting their limbs blown off right. in some in a in a video right <laughs> literally know? participate in the war right exactly it's so realistic and so people are being exposed to those things and so it somewhat has a desensitizing effect on what it actually looks like in in our proclivity to kind of wade into wars probably um just in kind of most of history, if you if you haven't been there, you might be more eager to do it just because you've you've seen it. It's kind of been glorified yeah. in, in media and stuff. So, but I guess the first question is like, what is war? I mean, yeah. like, what is it? We use that term a lot, and what is it? Um, and there's one of these 
because I was a Marine, there's a little there's a little book called MCDP One Marine Corps Doctrinal Publication One, and it's called Warfighting, and they give a great definition. It's one of my favorite little books, um, and it says this. The Marine Corps defines warfighting as the essence of war is a violent struggle between two hostile, independent, and irreconcilable wills, each trying to impose itself on the other. Mm. So it's pretty cool. Um, and they go on to say that total war and perfect peace rarely exist in practice. Instead, they are extremes between which exist the relations among most political groups. So the concept of war is an extension of politics. It's not separate from politics. It's just the ultimate ends when all other things fail. Mm. It's an extension of politics. And throughout history, war is the normal, not the aberration. Um, you can go incredible. all the way back to 2300 BC. There's a first guy named Sargon of Akkad, and he created the first empire by subjugating people and uniting some, some tribes 2300 together. 2300 BC, yeah. imagine that. Right, yeah, so... 4,500 years ago, um, but they war. Be, but they begin somehow these these wars, sure, yeah. right? They they're kind of like boy, they're bubbling in the the politics of an agenda, an idealistic will, yeah. right? And so, I mean, what have you come across in terms of why are these things coming to actual war fighting? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple. Um, the first one, I think. Um, if we're looking at it positively, I mean, there's a level of altruism that some people would, would say that that's why wars begin. And it's it's, it's kind of like the least bad option. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a sense of, okay, well, we have a bunch of options. Going to war is the necessary least bad one. And back in the day, like talking ancient times, there was a level of altruism kind of being like bringing order to chaos. So when you're back in like the Roman age, it's like if you weren't like a Roman you were like a barbarian, right? So mm. it's like these people are like raping and pillaging everybody and mm-hmm. per- perceived as pagan. There's no, there's chaos, right? There's no order. Um, and so there was a, even like the Persian Empire, there's this belief that they were like carrying the light and they were like, they were the good people oh. and they were bringing chaos to order. So there's a level of altruism in there. So it's like their political warfare. evangelism. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that's one, altruism. Uh, the next one is obviously the opposite end is greed, right? You want something that somebody Mm-hmm. else has pirates yeah pirates exactly yeah, i mean that's a perfect example i mean back i mean rome like julius caesar is famous he became famous because he was given a command and legions and he was in a specific area where he plundered and conquered and he became rich beyond belief he mm. and he and pompey had like the, this competing richness but they were the richest people on the planet because they conquered and that was his that was his pathway to fame was to gain wealth by conquering so um so greed fear um, fear is a, is a big one. And that's the idea that, you know, you prepare for conflict for fear of attack. Mm. Right. And so just as you can think about it, as if you were to just in your own normal everyday lives, if we are, you know, the reason that we have, you know, police and people like that is because we are afraid that someone's going to show up with, with hostile intent and yeah. try to take what we have. Right. So well, there's a fear. And that's, I believe what, Russian government, Vladimir Putin, the president, are projecting now is the is the reason that they're um, that they are uh, preparing for a potential invasion is that they quote unquote fear the NATO uh, alliance is threatening their security. Right. Yep. Right. And so there's this. I mean, ironically, it's a self licking ice cream cone right where you're like one side is building up their military because they're afraid of the other then the other one says well you're building it up so we have to have yeah. right and so suddenly you're you're just you're caught in this never-ending 
escalation where it seems inevitable because everyone is afraid you can't tap down that fear. Gotcha. So, and the ice cream's gone. And then the ice cream's gone, then you start shooting it because <laughs> there's no ice cream, which is ultimately the <laughs> real reason why altruism. all wars right. start. <laughs> a lack of ice cream, or at least chocolate ice cream. So, But um, this is yeah. the, the modern view of war, even the, the video game view and whatever, uh, that is only our version. Yeah. I mean, historically... Uh, as you said, historically, war has always been present, present, and for most of the world, all the time. Right. Yeah. And we actually, I mean, we we view the lens. And there's a book that you need to read if you want to spend, if you want to read a 600-page book. It's called Dominion. It's by a guy named Tom Holland. He's a mm-hmm. historian, but he describe he is describing how Christianity has changed the way in which everybody views everything. And so, pre really? you mean historically? Yeah, historically. Like since when Christianity showed up. Everyone, regardless of whether you believe in the in the biblical worldview or not, our whole ethical and moral framework and the way in which we view the world has been shaped by Christianity. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah. is he coming from a Christian perspective? Yeah, he's a, he's a Christian. Okay, yep. all right. He's more orthodox. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he's Anglican, maybe. Um, but but he he says this, and and this is kind of like the pre-Christianity. How do how was war viewed historically? And pre-Christianity, he 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 writes this about what the world looked like. And this is a, a quote. He says, the heroes of the Iliad, you all know them, Achilles, you know, Hector, Agamemnon, favorites of the gods, golden and predatory, had scorned the weak and downtrodden. So too had philosophers. The starving deserved no sympathy. Beggars were best rounded up and deported. Pity risked undermining a wise man's self-control. Only fellow citizens of good character who, through no fault of their own, had fallen on evil days might conceivably merit assistance. Mm. So the idea is pre-Christianity, the concept of going to war and subjugating people and and overpowering them, that was the ethical priority. And Ooh. those were the people that were favored by the gods, exerting your power and subjugating people. So that's a virtue. So conquering yes. and, and overrunning uh, the weak is a virtue. That's right. Yep. And so, wow. Yep. And so, you know, people like Achilles famously said, I would like a short life full of glory in war than a long life of, of known, of nothingness. Wow. Right. So, um, so anyway, pre-Christianity, that was, you know, common. I mean, you obviously see the Roman empire, the, you know, the Persian, the Greeks, the, you go all the way back, right. That Chi- if you look at the Chinese history of dynasties and the, you know, all this stuff. Wow. Um, but again, that's, I mean, so war was a regular part. The spring would show up because, Hey, we're, who we're going to go plunder and pillage and who we're going to get some slaves and sell them and get rich and famous right when we're going to where am i going to you know make a name for myself so wow that's interesting christianity shows up changes everything obviously you know the christian christendom kind of hits the roman empire and then the fall of roman empire you hit the medieval period there's you know there is obviously we're sweeping generalizations right now but the perception of you know war kind of changes it becomes a little bit more holy right a little more or mm-hmm. advancement of what we would, they would perceive as the kingdom of God. Then there's you know the rise of Islam and the caliphate, and it becomes kind of like a holy war perception of mm-hmm. Europe versus uh, the invading Saracens and stuff. And then you get all the way up to kind of like modernity, right? So World War One, most people view as a senseless, useless war. And then really World War Two is kind of where this just war stuff, kind of the idea of how do you go to war. Yeah, real quick, you know, when you say just war... That doesn't mean only war, right? Yes. What 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 is that? Yeah. So just war is as we kind of as as Christianity came into into popularity and um, 
had to reconcile with being connected to the Roman Empire mm-hmm. and saying, okay, if war is a regular part of our lives and pre-Christianity, right, war was a, virtue. The, was a virtue. So now that Christianity shows up, Jesus flips the paradigm. Um, what does it look like to be a Christian and to be uh, engaged in warfare, right? And so um, Augustine developed the concept of just war back in the 5th century AD. Mm. Um, and so Augustine, obviously being a famous theologian and philosopher, um, and he said essentially that just war theory is a doctrine um, or a tradition of military ethics. So it's studied by military leaders, theologians, ethicists, policymakers, and really the whole purpose of the doctrine is to ensure that a war is both morally justifiable through a series of criteria oh. and, um, and that... Um, that war is fought in a way that it maintains the more fi- oh. moral justifiability. So is it possible, you, and you may not know the answer to this question, but you probably do because you're a war hero. Is, is it possible that the phrase rules of engagement or that rules of engagement themselves were generated by a just war philosophy that was um, kind of came to pass through, um, did you say Constantine? Uh, Augustine. Augustine. Yep. Yeah, I think that is the definitely the origins. Like Augustine didn't, he didn't invent it, but he developed it in the in the lens of Christendom and Christianity. And so it kind of you can you can clearly see the difference if you study any history about World War One or World War Two, right? I mean, like World War One, every it's famous for like gassing people, and you know you're just you're you're doing whatever it takes to to kill each other. Yeah. World War Two, you're also doing that, but there there you know there's a little bit of maybe at the beginning a little bit of restraint shown on in terms of like, hey, let's appease, appease, appease because we don't want to jump into a gigantic war again. But then eventually it turns into total war. And now modern day America, and most of us have, you know, we have the Geneva Convention which has specific rules of engagement. We have specific, you know, uh, theater. You know, when I go to Afghanistan and Iraq, we have specific rules of engagement which changed over time depending upon kind of what stage or process the, the threat of the enemy was and what we were doing. So, yeah, rules of engagement are directly linked to this mm. and have kind of emerged as we've modernized warfare and we've figured out how to, you know, what are the worst things we can do to each other and we should probably not do that. Right. I can't believe, I can't be the only one who believes rules of engagement in how you kill somebody sounds, ban- sounds yeah. bananas. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's like saying, look at, I've got two kids, right? And I say to my son, if you're going to punch your sister, make sure you punch her with the heel of your palm instead of their fist, right? right? It's so yeah. it's so strange to me. If you're going to kill someone, make sure you kill them this way yeah. and not that way. Yeah. It sounds so crazy to me. Yeah, it's it's very um it's very interesting when you're actually fighting a war because when you are because generally um nowadays because you're fighting, you know, what war looks like now does not is not what we think of in World War Two and like where it's large nation states of uniformed combatants mm-hmm. like fighting each other. Now it's more counterinsurgencies and there's not very many that you yeah. can look at around the globe and say, Well, there's two unified uniformed right. nations fighting each other, right? Yeah. So usually that means one is fighting is adhering to the Geneva Convention where mm-hmm. and the other is not, right? Yeah. And so um, so it becomes very difficult when you're when you're on the one side that's following the quote unquote rules, then the other person's not. It's like okay, well, it becomes very frustrating. It also becomes, you know, a little bit ridiculous in your own mind to saying, well, we're we're fighting a war, but um, we're not. You can't. It's hard to win a war when you when you have to use 
yeah. rules of engagement. Yeah, you're playing by 20 rules right. that restrict your aggression or tactics, right. and the other team is making up their own rules as they go along. Right. But the, the, the key elements are, the key elements when you think of the just war theory, and there's two kind of parts that Augustine developed, and he, he if you want the Latin, he calls it jus ad bellum. Thank you Which, for that. Yeah, I did I, want the yes. I did want the Latin. I don't so mean, thank you for that. I don't know them, but I like yeah. the word juice. Yes, I think that's how you pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> or if you don't want the Latin, it's if good. you need to speak Latin, that could be not it, right? That's funny. Um, but that means the right to go to war, right? So he is the first component is okay. Well, do you go to war? Um, there's a couple components and standards that have to be met to go to war to be considered just. All right, this is Augustine's concept yeah. of just yeah. war, right? Because. Because, like you said, there's rules of engagement, but in order, those are secondary to do you even engage in a war? Um, and he says there's the first one is okay to measure the justness of wars. The amount of moral utility must outweigh the amount of evil that may result from the outcome mm. of the war. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you're engaging in what would be considered evil by killing other people, but yeah. you're that's less evil than again. That's kind of, kind of goes with it's the the least worst, the least bad decision right. that we're left with, right? Next one is um, a just cause must have the intent of an end with a lasting peace between the warring nations with industrial restorations and human success. So the the end state is that it's almost a restoration mm-hmm. of yeah. all things where you say, we're going to do this, but the end has to be that we are restoring ourselves and our enemies and and restoring to what it was and building a foundation for flourishing in the okay, future. So that explains something that's always been fascinating to me, which is to watch a war end and then watch the winning country or nation state after they have absolutely flattened a nation right. go in and spend their own resources to build it back up. Right. Yep. And this is coming from this is coming from this principle. Yeah, it's probably best in, best embodied in World War Two, where again that's the difference between World War One, World War Two mm. in the modern combat, because World War One was very punitive, right? The the Germans um, and the Austro-Hungarians were were heavy reparations, so the the goal was to punish them. World War Two, the Americans and the English and the Allies, they didn't do that. They they rebuilt Japan, for example. They mm-hmm. rebuilt it, let the emperor live, help, helped establish the the foundations for human success in the future. Also with Germany, they didn't lay heavy reparations on people. And, and so that's kind of like a picture of it. You say, okay, wow. well, we're actually aiming for it's just because we can go in this war and the goal is not to completely eradicate our en- an enemy. It's to subdue them. Like that first, yeah. subdue their will, like war fighting, the definition mm-hmm. was to subjugate their will, but then also establish foundations to, for their own flourishing in the future. Yeah, the altruistic part, right, where you're bringing order into what's perceived as evil chaos. Right. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Wow. So that's the right to go to war. Um, next one, the right way to fight a war. When you're in a war, how do you, and this is, you know, again, like you said, rules of engagement type of content, right? And hmm. the critical principle to remember is that those involved in war, um, in order, it can be declared justly, but it can be kind of become an unjust war if you don't adhere to, um, if you fight it with unjust means, right? Mm. So you can say, hey, we got into this with with virtue, but then the way we fight it kind of removes us from that, that kind of area of safety in terms of a just war. But um, the idea is that um, 
the concept of these two ideas, and I'll give you some examples in a second, but the the concept of a just war is that all of this is grounded on the biblical, the chief ethic of Scripture, which is love. Right. So how do you fight a war if the chief ethic is love? How does war play into that? And so the question sometimes is answered that war may be the most loving option. And if so, you have to fight the war with that primary foundation in mind. Let me ask you a question. So so let me see if I got this right. is Is it similar to going down the street... And confronting the bully harshly, right? Let's say punching him out because by punching him out, you protect the 12 neighborhood kids who have been getting bullied, assaulted, terrorized, robbed of their lunch money. And is the idea that it's it's loving, it's more loving to go confront this bully and knock him right. flat out, if needed, knock him or her, right? Because yep. it could be a sure. boy bully or a girl bully. Yep. You know, I mean, we're in the 20... 20- You're talking to me. Exactly. Right? I know. Exactly. I bullied yeah. by girls all the time. <laughs> I, literally, the first time I got punched in the face was by girls. So really? Like, legit punched in the face. I think that's so. a story worth telling more often. Yeah, I know. I really do. <laughs> So is that is that a fair an, yeah. uh, a metaphor analogy? Yeah, and it's it's either um, loving to yourself or loving to people that are being terrorized by the bully, um, and even sometimes you know, loving for the bully themselves. They kind of be like behavior change, behavior, correction. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. interesting. So, so the question, right? So again, a couple of specifics of what does love look like in the con- in the context of armed conflict, right? It's, it's such That's a, a good ridi- question. It's such a it seems like such a ridiculous thing to say. So in the right? context of armed yeah, conflict, of war, yeah. what does war look like? Yeah. Softer yeah. bullets. Yeah, that's right. And you're going to talk about kind of different ways Christians approach this, right. um, and um, which is a fascinating conversation. But here's here's some of the things and what does it look like? Here's some qualifications that have been kind of established as to why. What does it look like to love? In, in entering a war. Yeah. Um, first is that the only cause of, is defense against violent aggression. Right. Um, second is intention is to restore peace, a just peace, both friend and foe. Mm. We talked about that a little bit. But force must be the last resort after diplomacy has failed. And four, a decision to engage must be made by the highest government authority, not a private endeavor. So no oh, private right. wars. Right. So it's a, it's a construct of the governing entity. I got to tell you, when you put all those together, it sounds like the decision to spank a child. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It's like, here are the reasons. If I don't, they're going to be out of control. Uh, Have I exhausted all other options? Have I indicated, have I collaborated with my spouse at the top level of authority that this is necessary? And if we don't, what are the consequences, which are, um, it's unloving to not discipline corporally you know um so it's interesting it's interesting to kind of make that comparison to the way that we could function in our own home and parenting yeah and it's significantly easier when we're parents because we can see well sometimes we don't know when you walk into a room and one sibling's crying and the other one's like what what right you're like like what happened here so there's a little bit of fog of war in there but in you know in the decision making as government people it's like can you just imagine the fog of war when you're trying to make a, a just war decision based on these things? You're like, okay, well, how do you, it's very difficult to do. Yeah, um, yeah. But having this framework is, is, is obviously helpful. So then the how, right? So that's why. And then there's a couple things for how. How should I fight? What does love look like in how I fight a war? 
Um, the first is it must be for limited ends. So it's not just like we're right. just going to totally annihilate and take over the world, right? You have a, a finish line at the end that's that's a limited. They call that like an end, end game? Yeah, or like an um, end game, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, um, just war must be limited by propor- proportionality to the offense, right? So you mm. get, you shoot, let's say you assassinate the president. You don't nuke a country because right. they say that's a disproportionate response right? yeah in fact i know that the israeli defense um they have a philosophy in defending themselves called massive retaliation right yeah uh and it reminds me of this one time that uh, my friends and i were playing pool and <laughs> i don't know why this came to my mind you know but it's pretty funny we we're playing pool and when one of our friends was taking a shot we tapped the back <laughs> we tapped the back end of his cue stick yeah and just bumped yeah. the shot a little bit, and he turns around with the stick and takes a full <laughs> swing well, and hits me in the elbow. And well, like, like, like you nearly destroyed my elbow because I tapped your stick and quite knocked your. Yeah. yeah. So the retaliation was so outrageously yeah. disproportionate. Did you ever tap his stick again? I didn't. No, it of course not. So he used the massive retaliation That's approach right. from the Israelis. Nope. I like it, and and I've never, I've always associated massive retaliation to the cue stick incident yeah. with my friend. Well, that's what they say. At the kind of the prevailing ethos of America is, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick. Right. Right. So the idea that, and this is this was a, you know, obviously a massive component of the Cold War is that mm-hmm. mutually assured destruction. Whereas, hey, if you nuke us, we're nuking you, and everyone's right. nuking everybody, and the whole world's over. Right. So. But yeah, yeah, it's peace through strength, right? right? Yeah, but that level of proportionality saying, okay, if we hold through the proportionality, then things don't escalate to yeah, be insane. That makes sense. Right. Um, number three, no intentional or direct attack on non-combatants. So that's a big component that is most frustrating in a counterinsurgency because because when you establish rules, your enemy understands what rules you have to abide by. and that, So they pose as non-combatants. Right, that's as bad. Very much, again, you mentioned Israel, so the Lebanese and the Palestinian, you know, the, the those they position themselves in civilian populations for the direct reason that they know that they're not going to get. Right. Or they, you know. And I've heard, I've heard that, uh, like, um, Hamas is um, all loaded up in, Yep. In uh, hospitals and schools, with their with their offensive yep. weaponry and other yep. things, too. we found yeah we found people who are trying to walk out of a, a fight. They put like a woman's burqa on, mm-hmm. and so it's like they're trying to walk out knowing that we don't shoot non-combatants. Right. So they're like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna walk out of here. And, but they were you know they were actually actively Soldiers. trying to kill us. So mm-hmm. and number four, war shouldn't be prolonged. There's no reasonable hope of success without these limits. Mm-hmm. So if you can't actually fight the war within these limits, don't even prolong the war mm. um so so does this mean you know and it can't mean this right that the that the, our government that the u.s government it can't mean that the u.s government um is always waging a just war yeah this is yeah that's the that's the or our or our yeah, way that's the hard part when you th- when there has i think historically depending upon where you are but generally speaking most people would have you know, coming out of World War One or two, you're thinking, okay, the American framework for going to war is just is yeah. in a just war. Then right. out of World War Two comes the Korean War, which is a very much a war, you know, countering communism, and then it all kind of seems to fall apart when you get into the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and everyone starts questioning the motives and why we're there. Um, and then that so kind it of, seems more political, yes, right? yeah, and then it becomes yeah. you know, and it becomes more, and again, 
the you know the media machine of being able to see in real time what's happening yeah. right immediately on the battlefield you can you know there's reporters there there's um you know so all of the atrocities of war and all the atrocities of Americans imposing on the enemy that happened in World War II mm. and the Korean War are now live and in your face on the nightly news. Yeah. Right. And so, and then obviously the draft, there's a lot of interpersonal, you start getting to know people more. And so, all to say is, I think that's degraded over time for mm. the United States. When you get, again, you go into the, 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 the first Gulf War seemed widely supported of saying, yeah. okay, so we're, we're repelling violent aggression. Right. And just, by the way, means justifiable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then you get into the, the first Iraq war or I guess not the first, but the actual, like the operation Iraqi freedom where that, that was a proactive, yeah. uh, you know, a, we are going to prevent right. the future aggression by yes. going in there specifically weapons of mass destruction. Right. And so, this is again. This is a. This is where the sticky part comes in, where you say, "Well, what's a just war? Do you go in there proactively, preemptively, to prevent mm-hmm. some sort of um, aggression that could harm people?" And it's obviously very difficult to measure success because you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't say retroactively, "Look, these are the things we prevented because they hadn't happened." Right? It's right. easier to look back when things have been happened. You can say we responded we to these events. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it's difficult. So yeah, that's a fly in the ointment is that there, there is, I think, a degrading view. And because American is in, America, the United States is engaged in much more military activity around the world, specifically with drone attacks and, you know, all over the place, war in Afghanistan. Right. I mean, things, I think there's a, a pretty low level of trust in the perception of people making decisions for war and again even this ukrainian russian conflict is interesting because most people are thinking why there's a group of people who profit from war fighting right Right. eisenhower when he left the chief uh, the the presidency warned of the military industrial complex and the entire war yes wars are profitable for people wars uh distract from political i remember the whole thing with dick cheney and his involvement with halliburton and rebuilding um you know the uh, the Middle East there and the investment that, yep. that um, and and so but it does make me think about how in the Christian community we tend to see the United States as always waging a good versus evil war right. yep. and in the United States if you're a citizen and you're a Christian your interests and your citizenship and your government is always the good guy right in any kind of war that we wage somewhere is against the bad guy. Yep. Right? Yep. And so, and, that, and that's easy. That's an, I think it's, I mean, I personally think that's a mistake uh, to yeah, see it that way. Sure. Not always, yep. but I think it's a mistake to just blindly see it that way. But there's some assumptions, really, that we shouldn't take for granted. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's a big one is that it's, you know, it's just as citizens, let alone governing entities, ones who are making the decisions for war, it's, you know, it's very hard to, to determine you know, how the dis- what the motivations for yep. the government's actions are, so assuming that government officials aren't always telling the truth, yeah, I mean, which is pr- shocking. Like most people, <laughs> when they hear a, gov- a government official say they are trustworthy, that's right. Yep. A little dose of sarcasm. I wanted yep. to make sure that we sorry make sure th- I wanted to make sure that we had a little sarcasm. Yeah, in our yeah we just normal. revealed our hand at where we are yeah. cynically of the government. But the other one is. Again, just another assumption that's hard to measure, and then we'll get into how do we actually transform, what are the biblical views on this. But the other one is when you're making decisions like this, weighing the evil that may occur from a war versus without a war is both difficult and very subjective. 
Hmm. So you, what, what what do you mean by that? So if I'm if I'm to, if if one of the benchmarks for a just war is that it's it's a generalized you you're generally creating more good than harm, hmm. less evil than more evil. You know the determination to go to war. It's very difficult to determine. It's very subjective. It's hmm. like well, what is what is more good compared yeah. to into whom into whom right, right. yeah. So hmm. but. And because nation states are primarily, I mean, it's difficult because you're you're a country, and you're you're actually your moral obligation of the president and stuff like that is to your own right, citizenry, right. right? And but also, but again, this expands the conversation. Well, what? How do we do? How do we deal with this as Christians, right? Because we're not primarily kingdom or members of the American the American kingdom. kingdom. Right. We're primarily members of God's kingdom, and yeah. then secondarily, nation state kingdoms and, and groups of people. So, I mean, the the question is now. Well, how do we even look at this from a biblical worldview, and you know, how do we engage in loving people while we're yeah. actively trying to kill them? Uh, or so, even is that something we even are supposed to right, do? Right, right, right. Well, there are there are views on this that are generated from a kind of a systematic theology. It's difficult to kind of dig out of the scripture any real direct instruction or revelation from God about uh, whether or not just war is a thing. Right, right. Uh, so we're we're going to kind of have to piece some of the things together that come from systematic theology, and I also know that w- it'll be some things that you've touched on. Sure. Uh, yeah. One question I think it's it's worth asking is: Is it possible that we have war because of the evil that uh, arises out of the fallen state of humanity? Right. So it's possible that war exists primarily from what the Bible reveals, which is sinfulness brokenness uh the over overall um um i would say the the not the rise of evil that's not the emergence of evil because of because of the fall that occurred um in 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 humanity in genesis chapter um the early early story of of genesis and the human race falling so um so there's no there's no question yeah. really concerning the ugliness of war. And I love what one person has said, um, kind of like a, a a quote that that I don't have any reference for, but they said, there are many evils worse than war. And war brings every one of them. Yeah. So, and this is how I felt when I've, you know, we did some interesting research when we were going to, to Northern Ireland and we were going to spend some time in Belfast. There was a documentary that was released called The Children of War. Hmm. And it documented in a, do, in, a, in a pretty compelling documentary the different regions of the earth that had generations of children growing up while mm. their countrymen or their, the, 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 their nation was engaged in active war. And, and, you know, one of them was the Belfast children who yeah. were in a turf war, sure, right. really, um, through the militias that were at war politically they called them catholics and protestants but it was just they might as well be red and blue or mm-hmm. democrat republican because that's what it meant and um and and from then i mean that's a long time ago that i started to believe and feel the 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 pain and suffering of war and to this day it's war movies and war documentaries that hit me the deepest and hardest because of all of the atrocities that right. go along with it mentally physically the the atrocities for the children and so on and i love this idea that that uh, there are many evils that are worse than war but war gathers them all up and brings them all sure. it, it's included in every war it's right. generated by every war but it is important for us to think i i believe this as a christian 
I think it is um, it is compelling, or it is it is a starting point to say, let's agree that war, this kind of violence and ugliness, comes from the fallen, sinful heart, the sure. brokenness of of yeah. the world. So that would kind of shame or shape maybe the consensus of, if that's the foundational doctrine, then that would probably maybe shape the consensus thought of most believers. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, um, if it's, um, if it's, if you don't see it that way, let me put it this way. If you see it that way, you're able to prevent any kind of glee, excitement, um, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of, um, positive perspective. There's no glory. There's no glory. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that's a, that's a, um, worth us uh, I think a worthwhile starting point and the common consensus I mean overwhelmingly human beings especially Christian human beings overwhelmingly supports the cause of peace right mm-hmm. it is really um, someone is deranged if that's not their base objective okay. there's there's some uh, the teachings of Jesus advocates peace uh, and and even people who are not Jesus people, they, they long for peace. They yearn for peace. They right. quote unquote pray for peace and so on. So, but there's, but the problem is that with, as, as it is with so much of our lives, the problem really is that there's a conflict mm. as to the nature of war versus the, and the attainment of peace, right? In other words, so if, if the attainment of peace is the objective and every human longs for it, and Jesus says, this is the ultimate goal, right. you run into some real complications or conflict when you discover that it's possible that the only way to get to peace is through war, right? right? Yep. So that the end, peace, has only one means that remain, which right. is violence, yep. and that's the conflict. Yeah, and that's conflict. So what if the only way to get to peace is through violence? Mm-hmm. And that's that's why, for the Christian community, um, it's not cut and dry. That's why it is. It, that's why it's again. It's nuanced and complicated, which is why we're doing a podcast right. called Salted because of the nuances of some right. of these topics. Right. And there is lots of voices. It sometimes feels like it's a foregone conclusion. Like, oh yeah, war is eventually has to happen, but it doesn't necessarily hap- has to happen. But if it does have to happen, how do you do it? How does right, it right. So no one desires war, right? Yet war seems to be an in- inevitable <laughs> expression of of uh, human right. relationship to get to the peace. So humans in general, um, and we could say this about Christians specifically, are really confronted then with this tension. Um, there's the, the moral ambiguity of war. Uh, on the one hand, we know it's evil. Mm-hmm. We believe it's evil. We see that it's... Uh, generated out of the emergence of evil in the fall but on the other hand war or i mean we could probably say some wars produce some degree of good and you've touched on this yon but the 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 the, the good that's produces it establishes peace yep. it maintains justice in some ways uh and protects the lives of innocent people so yep. a good just war could do those things it brings long-lasting peace mm-hmm. um it it controls or sometimes sometimes somehow cultivates and maintains justice which is um which obviously is is um is vital and protects the lives of innocent people i said that twice because i think those three things are important to to remember ironically you mentioned northern ireland i just learned that the the english entering world war one prevented 
what most people believe was an inevitable shooting war in Ireland, a civil war. They were all gearing up to go to war with each mm. other. Yeah. And oh, World War One showed up, and so they didn't actually go to war. So there you go. World War One prevented all of a, a civil war in, in Northern Ireland, your favorite place. So. Yeah, I do. I do like it. So um, here's the big question, and this is kind of where we'll land, right, is um, how then, as Christians who are interested in salting the earth, really to approach the world in a different view. We translated it so we understand what we're facing, but how do we how do we see it differently? Is there a way to transform our perspective on war? How do we respond to the problem? Um, or, I think more importantly, how do we tackle the moral dilemma of resisting this kind of evil? And kind of four outlooks emerge, Yon, when you, when, you, when you study this theologically, four outlooks emerge. And let me say this, the first two are very similar. So, right. so some would even say that there's three. Generally, we can kind of split the first one in two. And the first one, there's four ways to look at it. And one would be that it's a government-only non-resistance, meaning mm. that essentially what Christians might say is they might say, because of the separation of church and state, the Christian does not participate. It's wrong for Christians uh, to use force. Mm. But the government is free to use force, the government being a non-Christian body or right. entity or organization. It's it's strictly secular, so it's legitimate for government, um, but it is wrong for Christians. The church is separate from the government, and since war is evil, and it's obviously opposed to God's will, the Christian is obligated to refrain from fighting. Hmm. So it's the idea that actually engaging in any conflict is in fact itself evil is the kind of like the foundational principle. Yeah, exactly. Um, that the, the Christian is ref- obligated to refrain from fighting. Well, that's really uh, convenient, though, if you don't have to do it. And then the, but you the, can... The, allow the government to do it because exactly. they're not Christians. And, okay. and this non-response, uh, non-resistance type of, um, type of viewpoint would actually permit someone to participate in government war, but as a non-combatant. Okay, um, and then you um, get into kind of the the second view, which is very very similar, is that war itself is immoral, and this would be a pacifist uh, pacifist view, in which um, really there's a there's a legitimate immoralization of war, mm-hmm. where someone basically takes this position as a pacifist. What they say is that. Jesus's death was on behalf of his love and his regard for the human race and that every life has infinite worth to God who created them and therefore uh, peace is much more than absence of war. Nonviolence is a total way of life to avoid doing Mm. any kind of damage or any kind of um, uh, really violating in any way the the creature called the human being. Mm. And so... um, you know, this, this non-violence would be a total way of life touching upon one's values at every level. And so, so they would, so here's what they would say. The pacifist would say, your weapon that you fight with as a, as a pacifist mm. is, is, is love. That's how you fight wars. You fight with love. So the Christian, unlike the secular human being, is armed with love, which Jesus showed us and taught us. And if you follow Jesus' example, he was certainly non-war, pro-peace, and yeah. But he flipped over tables. Come yes, on. he did. But he but Let's he did honest. it lovingly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, 
So given a chance to work, if if this is what they believe, that because you're armed with love as a Christian, if, if you just give love a chance, it will actively and redemptively penetrate society. Where do they get that idea? They get the idea from Jesus sure. and his approach to love your enemies and, and so on. So the pacifist... Um, you know, only they believe only love can really upside down, turn love, uh, turn evil upside down, and undermine the effects of evil. And this is primarily different from the first one because of this idea of separation and activism. Is that what you're saying? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. The pacifist, uh, they would not just be a a um, uh, kind of an outside observer, a non-combatant. They actually believe that. In this view, you separate yourself completely um, and that you actually proactively call upon the whole of society to lay down your arms. So it's far more activism and that the Christian must consciously, willingly separate themselves from all identification with the world's military program. So the difference is they wouldn't participate as a non-combatant. Hmm. They would actually actively condemn any kind of combat, conflict, violence, and aggression. Hmm. Okay, So that's that's a second way to approach it. And then there's a third way, which is um, basically it's an obligation to fight. And you and you touched on this, that, that there's a Christian view that says, that if you belong to God and if you're a Christian, the Christian is obligated to fight wars that are just because they're advancing justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of the leading thinkers in this particular category deny the radical distinction between the two Testaments. Because if you look at the two, the, the New Testament and the Old Testament, right, you see that the Old Testament has this violence and the New yeah, Testament yeah, right. has this, yeah. this uh, kind of this peacetime grace and love that... Um, but, but some of the leaders actually... Um, they deny the distinction between the two and argue that love does not supersede the law of justice. So you're obligated to fight for justice, and then you temper that fight with love. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Um, so love, according to some of these thinkers, not only goes the extra mile, but it also demands the protection of the innocent. So mm. so love is just, or, or war is justifiable because at its core... You have a love for innocent right. people, which and innocent children, which embodies so, a little bit of self-sacrifice and your yep, own well-being exactly. and your own riches to elevate, go fight. Yeah, elevate the exactly. The That's least exactly of these, right? That's exactly right. So, so you could justify a war if there are innocent victims that are that are in peril, and in this particular view, love would compel you right to fight in the war to protect them. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're bringing justice. But you're also um, tempering that justice by your outcome, which is which is loving. So, you know, um, and of course we know that because of a man's fallen state, not all evil can be avoided. So you take that into account and you say there's going to be evil. It can't be avoided. Um, and every action, no matter how pure the intentions, have some evil results. So a true ethic of right and wrong is more than a matter of good or evil. Uh, more than than what's produced. I mean, the Apostle Paul actually references this principle of justice he owned in Romans chapter 13, and he kind of gives the government the right and says, allow the government to exercise justice, or uh, they have the authority to punish evildoers and, and it's with a sword. Right. So he kind of gives this green light to governments 
uh, waging aggressive and violent justice mm-hmm. so that um, really in the end um, humans are protected or humans are punished for their evil doing. So even in Romans, um, I mean, in 1 and 3 too, there's this, um, the principle of justice is 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 universally binding all humans to mm, pursue yeah. um, justice, which is, you know, making sure evil prevails. Right. Or sorry, making sure yeah, well, evil does not prevail. Yeah. Well, that, I think that, I mean, that's the, the critical component you just brought up is that, you know, everyone aims love being the chief ethic, but what does love mean in the context of justice and a just God mm. and, and embodied by Jesus' sacrificial love to assuage the justice of God, right? So Yeah, right. Um so, I mean, so it's worth kind of repeating here so that the just war theory insists that uh, only just causes for going to war is a defense against all aggression. Mm. So if all parties adhere to this rule, then nobody would ever be an aggressor and no war would ever occur because every party is defending against aggression, mm. yeah. it, which would create um, worldwide peace uh, because there is no aggression you're just preventing aggression so christians are still responsible to take up arms uh, in this particular view and help the cause of peace and justice if he or she can do so in a just fashion so um, that is that is the motive in this particular view of war that I'm at war to protect the innocent and to bring justice, to protect the evil from overcoming good. Right, yeah. So um, then the last view is, is <laughs> this is really interesting. I, this, is, this is only my way of describing it, but it's b- basically it's preemptive striking. Yeah, well. So, and, and we saw this actually, um, this is actually important because it actually is is illustrated recently i don't remember how long ago but not too long ago there was a cop who rolls up on the kind of a an aggressive scene there's a family and and some people out in the front yard and the cop draws his weapon because he sees a girl with a knife right and she starts to swing at this other girl and he shoots her dead right you know and there's terrible crisis and there's terrible turmoil over this decision and the decision that he claims that he was facing was that he shoots one person right. with a knife to protect the other person right. who doesn't isn't armed. Yep. And some of the questions were, how could he shoot a uh, how could he shoot a young girl like that? Right. And he was like, at the moment, in the split second, I'm choosing between which life right. is spared. Yeah. And you make an a, you make an a quick decision in that instance, a very quick decision about intent. Right? You are judging that person's intent that that person has with the knife. Yep is swinging it and they have the intent to do you know deadly harm to that person so That's you right. have to do it right and he and he believes instantaneously that somebody is going to die right and he he opts to proactively strike the knife holding right. girl instead of the one who is unarmed right which so, is yeah which is which is which is a good example um it gets even more murky when we are in when we're in when there's no one actively throwing a knife. Maybe they just have a knife, right? And then the question that becomes with it when you, in this concept of war, it's like, okay, they have a knife. Now, do you preemptively strike someone who is just holding a knife as opposed to swinging the knife? And that metaphor going to the nation states, you're like, okay, well, 
where's the justification for preemptively striking someone where you're yes. assuming their intentions yes. and it's not very clear. Right? Yes, but that does bring us to that last view, Ewan, which is, you know, it, it's not a formal theological view to say preemptive striking, but I think we get the idea. In other words, the it's the idea of preemptively hitting, attacking, aggressively using violence to prevent a bigger destruction right. prevent bigger war or bigger injustice so yep. um you know when i was when i was reading through how to describe this it, it's um it's a crusade approach and um i mean what this what this means is that we eagerly this would this view would say that christians eagerly participate in a war effort which attempts to prevent or correct outrageous injustices only th the only we've heard it said this way the only thing it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing right yeah. and that's the idea here the idea here is that the good man proactively strikes to minimize injustice or the suffering for evil so if self-defense is, is 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 justifiable you know if you're if you're willing to defend your property and your personhood from evil from attack from violence or aggression then wouldn't it make sense to proactively eliminate that evil or that aggression when you know that it's going to occur somewhere right. else, right? right? Yeah. Or or uh, down the block or to the neighbor or what have you. So, um, you know, a preemptive strike uh, obviously has to be justifiable. Mm -hmm. And severely menacing behavior is as much of an act of aggression as an act of physical first strike. This is what this view would say. So in principle... Uh, one might urge that the best way of preventing war is to be well and fully armed, you know, carry a big stick. So it's, 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 it's peace through strength. In other right. words, you are so outrageously armed, you are so outrageously strong, you are so outrageously threatening that no one's going to no one's going to mess with you, right? right? That's yep. the idea. Yep. So I remember when I was in high school and word would get out every now and then that a particular kid was a black belt. Right, yeah. You know, and you'd hear kids mumbling to each other, you yeah. know, don't mess with that dude. Yeah. Don't mess with that dude because he will, you know, he'll twist your head yeah. off. Yeah, so, it's true. But um, so that's one of the parts of this principle is that if 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 one is to have a proper zeal for justice, um, one would call for a crusade or preventative invasion or preventative aggression if it should be in one's power to stop terrible acts of violence. Right. Again, all it takes for evil to succeed right is for good men good women to do nothing mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. that's the idea here is that it's proactively right. preventing even more atrocity or unjust suffering of the yeah. of the innocent now most of us listening are of the age to re to have one recent mess circumstance come to mind that says wait a minute now this yeah. preemptive striking seems to have a very big problem based in our American history. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, you're referring to mass weapons yeah. of mass destruction, yep. right? It's the, totally. the invasion of Iraq, right? Yep. And preemptively saying Saddam Hussein is a danger to himself, his people, and all of the, the region. Um, I mean, maybe in good reason because he did gas his own people, but also yep. the idea that he had stockpiles of WMDs that he was about to unleash on his enemies um, was a impetus to go to war preemptively strike and say we're gonna we're gonna prevent further evil from happening right. by invading the, and the rape them. and pillage of kuwait right yep. and and so on and do you remember uh do you remember the the character of the leaders that were telling us right we had yeah. george george w bush mm -hmm. and and we had um, colin, colin powell, powell yep. 
who were asserting that with with no question there were weapons of mass destruction and therefore the impetus for going to war was to yeah. prevent what yeah. you just described. Back when everyone trusted the CIA or yeah. the intelligence agencies yep. are all said it. You know, it's like, well, that's what I was just going to say. So the question when you get to preemptive war is do we trust our leaders hmm. you know and the questions that we start to see emerging are, are is there a financial interest is that what's driving yeah. it you know under the surface is that what the real motive is or is there a political interest um, yeah. does dick cheney have investments in halliburton and then right, yeah. he knows that through the um through the invasion and the restoration of the oil fields that somehow Halliburton yep. is going to get these multi-billion dollar contracts. So how can those people be held responsible when they make a mistake? Yep. That's the other thing too. When, when they make an error in judgment, is anybody hold them accountable? Yep. Yep. So it's probably best to have Christians in some way, shape or form, ask those questions, right. you know, and, and we're not crazy to say that there's not different levels. Everyone has different motivations. It's just, what's the ultimate motivation right yeah. i mean everyone has different motivations when you're making these decisions like this that impact millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people the question is what is your primary motivation in actually making the decisions right yeah so. and it does seem that the conclusion here i mean to, to kind of narrow this down the conclusion is that we have to see a relationship between love and justice and um you know, one view, love is so far elevated beyond and above justice that justice is left to a place of kind of like a irrelevant, um, passe. Um, and in contrast, another view so exalts the principle of justice that he or she leaves the law of love to a select few of pious, you know, clergymen who right. are calling for peace. So, um, so that's that's certainly important to see the relationship between both love and justice and how they are they are working together. And the and should a uh, should a Christian support war? There's no blanket answer. You can't you can't I don't think you can um, broadly define this in black and white terms. Right. Yeah. Um, what what we have to remember is that God. I think this is so. This is kind of wild, right? God describes Himself as a warrior. Mm. Yep. Um, Jesus returns as a warrior. The angels are described as warriors. In Revelation 12, the archangel Michael will fight Satan. You know, mm -hmm. there's an ultimately, there's the ultimate just war ahead. Um, clearly, this is something God planned as well, that there would be uh, a fight in the end or a some kind of good and evil clash. So at the end of the day, we have our moral values to hold on to. We have biblical values to hold on to. And we have the teachings, clearly, that we see biblically that we're given in our worldview. And if you're someone caught in the middle of this issue or you know someone who is, it's it's critical that we pray for wisdom, the best way to go about it. You pray yeah. and uh, ask God for, for wisdom, and you consider love, you consider uh, what's just, and if I can participate, support, or pray for the wisdom needed, to aggressively or violently intervene to protect more innocent people. Um, and, and some would say, you know what, you stay out of it altogether because God is sovereign and he's seeing it all through. If there's evil, it's because he's right. letting it happen. And if yeah. there is innocence and he's protecting innocence and advancing innocence because he's letting it happen. So some would say theologically, you just throw your hands up and right. say God is sovereign. Yeah. I mean, I don't take that approach. A little deterministic. It is, fatalist. it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't take that approach yeah. because I think God's given us so much 
um, he invites us to participate in so many ways, you know. Yeah, and so, I think I think one of the things that we, we start off with is is what is, you know, what's the lens in which we view this through? And most of our listeners, and your, myself and you, you included, we view it through the American lens. And the American lens, I don't like the word privilege, I don't use it a lot, but when it comes to exposure to violence and, and conflict, the level of privilege as Americans to not be exposed to that and not really have to think about it, um, is off the charts. Mm. And so the, 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 you know, we, there is a tendency to have a bit of a, um, I want to say not flippant, but a little bit of a ignorant and overly, uh, flowery view of, Oh, we just talk it out. Let's just talk it out. If it's all, it'll all be okay. Like, but like we said, war and armed conflict has been a part of humanity because of the fall yeah. forever. And so how do we view it and how do we view our engagement? And I think there's a tendency now to pull back to a little bit of, of selfishness saying, well, why are we out there? Why are we doing this? And right. when we prioritize Americans, which is okay, but well, I think the, 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 some of the principles in there uh, are not necessarily biblical principles no. of what does it mean to be a selfless and care for the, the and, and help the weak. And right. because we just, we don't really have the context to see what real violent oppression sure. looks like. Yeah, and we say dumb stuff like, well, I'm for peace. Right. Well, yeah, for your personal peace. Right, yeah. Or are we advancing the peace in this people group? Yep. Or, you know, you think of, uh, we could get into a lot of what people yep. groups are suffering, but at least it's worth considering, right? Yeah. Peace doesn't just mean peace for my home and for my um, my young people in our military, in our country. Right. Peace, peace. In, in humanity. Yeah. And the solution is not always to go shoot the bad guys and be like, right. okay, well, let's just go blow everybody up because that, you know, historically doesn't really work yeah. well in sustaining, you know, peace. Right. If the goal is not to, there's a lot of work we got to do. If you're going to blow people up, you got to do a lot of work on the back end to make sure that you've built them and, and created the conditions for their own flourishing. Right? Yeah. And so. we could talk for a long time, Yon, about the, uh, I often hear this, right? Some people who are, are dealing with terrorists who's, who exist to destroy you, to kill you. That's right. why they exist. That's their idealism yeah. or their ideology. That's their mission is to destroy their religious opponents, right? The, mm-hmm. Whatever, I don't know what topic you want to categorize them as, but, and then, then some of the kind of the one, one approach would be that we ought to engage in further diplomacy right. with yeah. them. There, there's no diplomacy for someone who, if they see you, they want to cut your head right. off. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. complicated. It's so complicated. And, it and it's just, it, I mean, there are, and I think it comes down to, you know, again, why is a biblical worldview unique in that we believe that there is, because of the fall, right, there is actually sinful human, and if you don't have that worldview, you kind of, you, you're a humanist, a secular humanist, you believe that everybody's good, and so it's purely by circumstances that, that we are having these aggressors, right, mm. that wars, that conflict emerges because of the environment we've created, and that's one thing that kind of bothers me in modern day American entertainment is that most like most terrorist stories origin stories begin with some sort of act of violence by a by a western power that yeah. kills their parents or exactly. something indiscriminately and that's why as opposed to there is actual evil there's actual ideologies right. that, that are evil and our worldview of why of what armed conflict is looks like in, in, in the western world why things are just or unjust is shaped entirely by the principles of Christendom. Right. And yeah. so that's a good place to start and say that's, you know, everything we view is through that lens. So how do we even as, if that's our starting point, how do we as Christians navigate the waters of we're also members of America or exactly. Canada or Belgium, wherever you're listening. Right. So 
Yeah, and and here's the final, uh, I think the final twist in the plot. The final twist in the plot is that the whole world is defining people, groups, and causes as good and evil. And the final twist in the plot is who gets to determine what person, people, group, or cause is good and which one's evil, right? When we define it one way, the rest of the world defines it another way. That's why there's global clashes because the definition, the categorizing of good and evil is subjective. Now, we do it through the um, lens of the Bible, right? So that helps us better attribute, I think. But still, there's some massive uh, conflict as to uh, what parts of the Bible you elevate over another part. Yeah, and it comes down to what you said, right? The biblical definition of justice and the biblical embodiment of the ethic of love and how do those combine? And if that's our starting point, I think we're off to a good start. Yeah, for sure. To review, there's the four views, one four ways to look at it. It's government-only non-resistance, the war is immoral Christian pacifism, uh, the obligated to fight for justice, which is tempered by love. And then lastly, there is the the view that... Preemptive strikers. Yeah, yeah. We're obligated to do yep. it. So those four are worth considering. Well, on to another form of combat as we finish. The games of the something-something Olympiad. Oh, yeah. Whatever number. That's a great word. <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah. Olympiad. So we've solved just war theory, mm-hmm. um, and now we're going to solve what's the most, well, not the most, what's the your preference of Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics? Which theater arena of sporting conflict do you prefer? Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough question because I think it would be easy for me to pick out events but the events are, you know, um, I think I pull from both both categories there. Gee whiz. I think I prefer winter only because there seems to be some mechanical aiding that allows people to go faster and do things a little bit crazier than in the Summer Olympics. Like, yeah, did you see that double luge? Yeah. What is yeah. that? What like is you that? You got like the skeleton, you got the double, you got the luge. What's the man laying on top of a man <laughs> and racing down? Yeah, it, well there's like the double skeleton, there's like the skeleton, like you go face first down yeah, and just yeah. a little thing, right? And then, I mean, then you go downhill skiing, they're going 80 kilometers yeah. an hour, they're, you go, I mean, skating, right, they're doing axles and flips and twists and so i just think i think i like the mechanical advantage of them doing some crazier things than generally happens in the summer which is kind of like you ride your bike or they even shoot guns in the winter olympics which is true yeah i I always thought i always watched that that uh cross-country skiing with the with the target shooting yeah 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 and i always thought to myself this is the weirdest thing i've ever seen and then i realized that the that the real nuance of that is after getting your heart rate up yeah, so high, controlling your breathing and exactly. shooting something so tiny yeah, and the different yeah. shooting positions. Then, yeah. I found it way more fascinating once I yeah. kind of put those two together that you're trying to control your pulse as it shakes the gun while you're trying to hit the target. That's pretty. That's pretty, yeah. wild. pretty wild. So I think you just convinced me. Yeah. I mean, I like track and fields, but you like the only thing is like, okay, you use a pole to jump over. Right. I think that's cool, but it's like, or you just run. I mean, that, yeah. again, they run fast and they run for a long time, but. <laughs> It's like I can run. I can't. 
I can't go down a luge at, or yeah. a skeleton. At, yeah, so it's almost like it's more of an epic performance to watch, you know. That's what you it know? feels like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, from now on, and yeah, that's and my preference. I grew up in Canada too, so the only Olympics that have any bearing on us oh, was yeah. the Winter Olympics. So, oh yeah. So there you go. There you have it. I prefer that too. You own one agreement. We did it. We solved. Be a peace. This yeah, peace time here. We did. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're welcome. World, enjoy no more global peace. Yeah, world peace. You're welcome, and uh, enjoy your Olympics. But uh, thanks for listening. Give us a like. Give us a share, and uh, have a great whatever, however long from Winter now Olympics. until the next yeah. episode. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.